0: Good morning, good to have you in God's house. We're in the book of Romans, uh, chapter 14, if you'd like to turn there. Romans in the New Testament, chapter 14. We're gonna look at verses one to three. And I calculated it out this week when I had a little free time. Um, we're gonna be finishing Romans on uh, March the 21st. <laughs> what year? Yeah. Every single service has done the same thing to me. So I'm praying for your attitude. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm talking... 2028. No, I'm I'm talking uh, this year. So uh, it might be in prayer for me because I have no idea where God's going to lead next. Uh, Perhaps a shorter book like Jude or or Obadiah, like one chapter. So so we'll see. Or maybe Isaiah, like go for broke, 66 chapters. We'd be there until Jesus returned, I'm sure. So anyway, uh, be in prayer about that. Uh, it's been good to have my uh, daughter and uh, son-in-law, Greg and Amanda, here with the grandkids for two weeks, and it's uh, been fun, and uh, uh, he's a pastor out in Sacramento, so they, he's got to go back to work uh, out there at their church, but it's been good to have them. They leave in the morning, so, uh, so it's been fun. So hopefully you've had family here, too, enjoying, enjoying them. You find out just how busy little children are when they're in their house, you know? It's unbelievable. So we've had a great time. So let's pray. God, thank you just for uh, the scriptures, for Paul's uh, desire to tackle uh, topics uh, of a wide range of ideas and concepts, uh, some easy, some difficult. And we just thank you for the fact he wrote what he did, uh, for he teaches us how to live the Christian life. And this chapter is no exception. And we pray we might learn from it. Uh, and, and move to a, a greater place of holiness and how we live in the new year and pray for those who have come to church today uh, who may not know you may not even know why they need to know you uh, might they hear the spirit 's voice today as he can only take what is said and apply that directly to their heart to show them their need of the Savior in christ's name amen uh, one main thing that the Lord uh, wants from his church is uh, displayed in his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. Uh, before his uh, crucifixion, he prayed for the disciples and he also prayed for the church that would come on Pentecost. Uh, and the essence of his prayer pivots off of verse 20 of chapter 17. Uh, and this all pertains to what Paul's going to write about in Romans uh, 14, if you're wondering. Here's why Jesus uh, prayed. It says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for also those who believe in me through their words. He's praying for the disciples and for us. It says, that they may be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us, uh, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Uh, that little so that clause uh, gives you the reason why Christ prayed for unity, because he's, what he's praying for is... Um, a great witness of his believers to the world around them and he knows that he they can't do that if they're disunified because if christians are arguing among themselves and and divided over things uh that they shouldn't be divided over and by the way there are things you would want to divide over but a lot of christian churches split and divide and christians don't have relationships over non-essential issues crazy issues and paul paul is going to talk about that in chapter 14 but jesus said let me pray for my disciples because he'd seen them in action hadn't he were they always unified as a team? Uh, no. Just read the Gospels, and you'll see those, those men had all kinds of issues, but he used those broken, twisted men at certain points who had anger management issues and all kinds of issues. He used them to turn the world upside down with the Gospel. That's what he does. But he prayed for them that at, uh, after his death and resurrection, they'd be unified. He also prayed for us that we'd be unified because Jesus knew uh, that if we weren't unified, we would not have a great witness to the world. Uh, so if if we're fighting among ourselves, which we're not, but if we were as a church, uh, anybody that would come to church here could look at us and say, hey, I've got that at the Pentagon. <laughs> you work there? Is it totally tranquil and unified on every floor, every ring? Uh, no, I'm sure it's not. Uh, and if you're in the secular world, uh, you can't point to the Pentagon and go, "They have got huge issues over there. Uh, look at your own business. I mean, is it always on the same page? Um, Because we get disunified over all kinds of things. And if there's disunity at your work, the last place you want to see is that in the church. I mean, if I'm not a Christian, like why would I want to be a Christian if you guys can't even have peace among yourselves? So Jesus prayed for us to be unified. Now, who knows that we have a propensity to be disunified? Who knows better than the devil? I'll go back to my years when I was younger on a wrestling team. What do you do with your opponent? Well, you want to pin him, but what do you got to do? You got to find out what his weaknesses are. And you've got to exploit those to your advantage. Uh, and the devil knows that. So the devil knows that we have an area where he can exploit to his advantage to uh, hamstring our unity, to create disunity so we're not a witness to the world. That area is what I would call a gray area. A gray area. And you can choose how you want to sp- spell it. You want to go with the English version, uh, G-R-A-Y, area, left up to you to spell that. Or if you want to go to the British version of G-R-E-Y and be totally academic, you can go for that one. What is a gray area? Uh, well... I usually go to Wikipedia, the source of all wisdom and knowledge. Um, but because you usually crack up when I tell you that, I'm going to go in a completely different direction. I'm going to go to the Macmillan Online Dictionary. How does it define a gray area? Uh, it defines it this way, quote, it is a situation in, in which the rules, they're not clear, or in which you're not sure what's right or wrong. A gray area. That's a good definition. Uh, how does that apply to the church? Big time. Because all you have to do is have an area where the Bible didn't exactly talk about that, so I must be able to do it. Or it didn't talk about it, so I probably shouldn't do it, etc. And then all of a sudden you divide a church over that. So let's uh, talk about gray areas, because Paul's going to spend an entire chapter talking about it. Why? Because the church in Rome was fighting over gray areas. And that, that would wipe out their witness to the Roman culture. So Paul says, you as a church need to get on the same page. Quit arguing over the non-essentials. Get together on the essentials so you can have unity. But you, what gray area is dividing you? For them, it was meat, meat offered to idols. And you can see how this would work. If uh, you go to the local Roman version of, of uh, Safeway, <laughs> I'm just saying, uh, and, and you go in and, and, and the meat there is all for sale, uh, and you, you're a new Christian, and you know all that meat was offered to idols prior to them bringing it there, you might tell your, your, your wife, we're not eating any of that meat anymore because it's offered to an idol, and if we eat it, we're then worshiping those idols, and I'm not gonna pay how much to any of my former gods, as it were, right? Or you could be a Christian who now knows that those idols are nothing, and it's no big deal that meat was offered to them, so we're having top sirloin tonight, <laughs> saved. This was the issue in their culture. And you might think, well, that's, and we don't, you know, I don't have any problem when I go to the meat market at Safeway. Do you? I don't see any Christians standing there going, I don't know, it, what should we do? Uh, no, our issues are different. Let's, uh, let's dig down into some of our issues that are gray areas. So I'm going to mess with you a little bit and, and, and then tell you a little bit about myself because had, I've had struggled with these issues too. So let's talk about some of our gray areas before we actually get into principles to help us in these areas. Uh, movies. Should a Christian go to a movie? You're thinking about it. You're praying about it. Uh, Should a Christian go to a movie? Uh, Now, when I grew up in a Baptist church, I was uh, somewhat strict. Uh, My pastor who led me to Christ, uh, uh, Dr. Harold Lynn, who was a Navy captain, chaplain, great great man of God, uh, led me to Christ back in, uh, I think it was 1966, 67, something like that. Uh, He was like, a Christian should never go inside of a a theater, ever, ever, verboten, couldn't do it. Uh, So his friend, his son, my best friend, Tim, uh, when I would go to movies, Tim could never go. I'd invite him. He could never go, and I'm like, why? Why can't he go? So I remember, remember Steve McQueen. Yeah, I know if you're younger, if you're Generation Z, Millennial, Steve who? It's okay. He's a movie star. Uh, Steve McQueen came out with the Sand Pebbles back in the day about the Chinese Boxer Rebellion. Great movie. Great music great storyline, awesome movie uh, about the U.S. Navy, you know, patrol boat, etc. cetera. Uh, my, my dad took me and I invited Tim to go. His, and I, so I asked him, you know, can you go to this? I mean, it's a historical movie, you know, etc. His dad told him, no, you can't go in a movie house, no way. So Tim get, didn't get to go. Uh, when uh, James Bond started hitting the scene, I'm talking about the real James Bond. <laughs> I'm talking James Bond, like Sean Connery, James Bond. Well, not those imposters who came along later. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so thank you. Yeah, people get stirred up about the most interesting things. So, um, so when Dr. No came along in 1962, my dad took me. Uh, 1963, when From Russia with Love came along, my dad took me. Uh, when Goldfinger came along in 1964, I was there at Fox Theaters. Uh, Thunderball came along, that underwater spy flick. It was awesome photography. 1965, I was in the theater. And remember, when you went to the theater back then, you got a couple cartoons before the movie and two movies. For like 75 cents. Those were the days. Um, yes, I'm old. <laughs> Was my dad wrong in taking me to see those? See? Uh, because my pastor said, that's wrong. My parents were like, what's, what's wrong with going and seeing that? Etc. cetera. Uh, how about cards? Should, uh, b- should a believer own cards? I'm talking bicycle cards. I'm talking playing cards. Should a believer have playing cards in the house? Why are you so quiet all of a sudden? <laughs> That's a card. Should, should, you, should a believer ever play poker? Well, yeah, but uh, not for money. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I remember some guys, uh, some pastors, invited me to fill in for a poker buddy that was upset one night. I don't play poker. I've never played poker. I don't gamble. So they had me fill in, and I showed up. Uh, and they were all playing for a penny, like a, like a bet. I don't play. I didn't even know what I was doing, and I was winning, and they were all mad, and they're like, we're never inviting you again. It's okay. I don't, I'm not for this anyway. I mean, but, you know, should you should play poker? Uh, uh, blackjack, 21? Yeah? I mean, should you? And et cetera. Things like that. Now, I grew up in a church where you couldn't have cards. I mean, that's the way the pastor was. Couldn't go to movies, couldn't have cards. Can you relate? Nobody grew up like that? Okay. And so my pastor was like, cards, they're, they're, you can't have them. So my, my best friend, Donnie Sundstrom, and I uh, smuggled a pack of cards onto the church bus going to winter retreat. Uh, I didn't say I was always godly in my life, but we, we took them into our little backpacks, you know, going on the bus. And we're sitting there, we're kind of bored, waiting for the bus to take off. So what do two young guys do when you've got free time but play gin Rummy? So we, we went out the cards, divided them up, and, you know, He's got his, I got mine, we're we're going to it. And then the youth pastor saw the contraband. He went, he was like a wild monkey coming down the aisle, (laughs) screaming, yelling, and he he grabs the cards out of my friend's hands, grabs them out of my hands, grabs the pack, throws them all together and takes them and confiscates them. Never saw them again. They're probably in like the FBI museum or something. I mean, gone. It was evil. I'm like, what is his problem? We're playing gin rummy. Uh, So can you have cards? Why not? You know. Okay. How about alcohol? Mm. Uh, okay. Okay. Uh, so can a can a Christian enjoy a glass of wine every now and then? Okay. We know where the carnal Christians are right now. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> well, you can have red, but you can't have white, huh? White. <laughs> fine Okay. Yeah. Uh, well. Okay. Uh, so some would say yes, enjoy a but. Prudence, you know, control is important because the scriptures are against being drunk, absolutely. But if you want to have a glass, I personally don't have an issue with it. I don't do it because if I have even a sip, it puts me to sleep immediately. <laughs> yeah, that's my daughter. Yeah, it's true. So I just don't do it. Uh, and I don't like to taste because you, you get up on all these different flavors and everything, they all taste the same to me. That's a joke. I mean, but if you're into it, hey, it's okay. Uh, but within moderation. But some Christians are like, uh-uh, no, never. Can't even have a bottle in the house. okay. Uh, during my first trip to Israel uh, with a Jewish friend of mine who became a Christian, he's teaching me how to do a, a, to do a trip to Israel. So I'm tagging along with him and his group. And uh, so we get to Israel. I'm all excited. It's right after 9-11. Tourism is down 75% because everybody's afraid of terrorist attack. It was awesome. There was no one there. We were like the only people at these sites. And uh, so our first night there at the Sea of Galilee, we're at a restaurant at the Sea of Galilee. You're looking at Tiberius in the distance, Capernaum over on the, cor- I mean, it was awesome. And you're sitting there having dinner, and so his group from San Diego, Southern California, my group from Northern California are sitting, you know, at this long table divided up between North and South California. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. And and so we're sitting there. And so my group, a couple of them were like, hey, we need to toast. This is awesome. We're sitting here in the Holy Land. We need some red wine to toast at dinner. The fact that we're in the Holy Land, right? So they got a bottle of wine and poured a couple of glasses. And, you know, I wasn't going for it. But, hey, okay, I can can handle this. And so they they all all poured. And they're getting ready to toast when I could feel the icy stare from the other end of the table. (laughs) The Southern Californians had an issue with what we were doing. And so I leaned over to the guy sitting next to me and I said, before you take a drink of that, you might want to, can't you feel the eyes right now burning into your glass? And like, what's the problem? Go look down there, look over there, you know? And so he looked down there and he's like, whoa, they don't look happy. Mm -mm." Uh, And so they all toasted anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Is that the best thing to do? We'll circle back to that in a few minutes. If I forget, just remind me, okay? We'll come back to like what happened after dinner, okay? Uh, should Christians dance? Okay, this is definitely the carnal section right here. Should, should Christians dance? Yeah, but like within reason, right? Well, that's, well, some would say no, never. I never went to a dance ever in high school. Didn't go to prom, nothing. I didn't, I didn't go. No, I, I had a girlfriend too, and I didn't go. Because uh, so, our church was not into dancing, so you didn't dance. You know? Uh, and then back when I got into college, my girlfriend took me to a discotheque and with a lighted floor and everything and the <laughs> spinning ball. And after I went there, I was like, there's a reason why I don't come here. This is insane. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother experience I went through. It unbelievable. So, uh Cosmetics, should a Christian woman m- wear makeup? <laughs> One guy bravely stood up, I mean, in our second service is like, oh yeah. like. <laughs> Okay, because I, how I grew up, it's like uh, no, no makeup, or it's okay within moderation, etc. Um, oh, I have more tattoos. Should a Christian have a tattoo? Now my granddaughter said yes. <laughs> you know, she even, she's talking to me in the sermon. Okay, you, you talk to her. So I have a lot of friends that have tattoos, and their tattoos are kind of like from their former life. You know, I mean, some of them get them new Christian tattoos. Uh, I personally don't have an issue with it. I've actually drawn tattoos from, for Marines in Greek and Hebrew as they left to go to battle. I've drawn them. <laughs> My handwriting is on these Marines' forearms. It's interesting. But, uh, but, but I wrote the name of God on one Marine's arm as he went to Fallujah. Yeah. And I said, you realize they're going to be able to read this when you land. Oh, Yeah. Uh, he goes, I'm on a 10-man door-knocking team with a machine gun. And I'm like, oh, okay, but they can probably read this. Anyway, when I drew it on his arm, he came right over to the side light. I didn't tell this to the other services, so I apologize. But when he came over to my house, he just knocked on the door before he left with the Marines out of Camp uh, Pendleton. Uh, and he, he said, hey, man, uh, what does uh, El Shaddai look like in Hebrew? I'm like, uh, uh, well, uh, here's a pencil. It, it kind of looks like that. So I drew it out. He goes, well, thanks. I'll see you. And He left. He came back the next night, and he, he knocks on the door. It's dark. I open the door. It's Patrick. And Patrick's like, well, hey, I got something to show you. <laughs> I'm like, huh? And he goes, let me come into the light. So he came into the light, and he has it was on this arm. And <laughs> he has this, this plastic thing over his arm taped on there. And I go, what? Did you get cut or something? He goes, no. And he goes, I did it. I did what? He, so he ripped, rips it off, and there is El Shaddai in Hebrew in my handwriting on his arm. I go, I didn't even draw cool Hebrew. I just scribbled it out. He goes, this is awesome. I go, oh man, it's misspelled. (laughs) He's like, no way, that's on there for life. I go, yeah, they they totally misspelled it at the tattoo place. And I did that for about five minutes. And then I told him I was just kidding. Then he got back to Camp Pendleton, and he told me, he goes, hey, man, my whole unit that's shipping out, they want to know, like, will you draw them? No, I will not. <laughs> I was famous at Camp Pendleton for a while. But anyway, so you, you got to think about stuff like that. Should a Christian show up at a rock concert? Yes. <laughs> well, I know, within reason. I mean, I'm not going to show up at Black Sabbath for obvious reasons, right? But I've been to Foreigner. I've been to Eddie Money. You know what I mean? I mean, I've been. I've been to ZZ Top here and I've seen some of you there too while well, I'm there. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's the faster. Yeah, I'm, I, I'm here trying to keep track of the sheep. So, that, that type of thing. See, now, now the danger is, it's like, uh, this be, these become huge areas, right? He went to a rock concert? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because if I don't know my culture to some degree, how do I talk to my culture? Right? Like my non-Christian friends, how do I talk to them? How did I talk to them if I don't know their world? But it becomes problematic because, let's throw this in. I didn't talk about this in the last two services, but I'll leave this for you to consider. So back in my day, with my dad being a federal agent, (laughs) marijuana was bad, right? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is it still bad? Yeah, it's bad for you. Yeah. I have friends that are deceased because of it. Because there's a reason why they called it a gateway drug. Because my friend Paul Miller took it, started smoking it, as many of my friends did. Next thing you know, he's graduating up to heroin. And he OD'd when we were in ninth grade. So when they call it a, a gateway drug, it is. So if my culture takes some things that the scriptures don't expressly talk about and legalizes them, doesn't mean it's legal for me. You follow? It all depends on like what it is. But you can discuss that because a, a really smart crafty college student could say hey well dad in Colorado it's okay and in Virginia it's it's you know not okay so I'm just flying to Colorado Do you see what I mean this is crafty you know some things are just evil and you shouldn't be doing anyway but anyway I'll leave it that for you to discuss because I had a sermon to preach what do we do uh, we take spiritual preferences and we make them spiritual principles that's what we have the propensity to do we take a preference like I prefer to go to movies or I prefer not to go to movies, we principalize it and then we beat people with that if you're a legalist. So what does Paul talk about? Let's get on to the sermon. Let's get on with the program. Whole chapter on gray areas. Uh, What does God desire? He desires unity in his body, not disunity. He desires unity in his body, in a gray area. Notice what Paul says in verses one to three. He says uh, to the Christians in Rome, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One person, he says, scenario, has faith that he may eat all things offered to idols. Uh, and, and, uh, but he who is uh, weak uh, eats vegetables only. Why? Because it would be sin for him to eat meat offered to idols. He says uh, verse 3, the one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? Well, because God has accepted him. So why, how can I judge him if God accepted him? This is interesting. We're going to go through the next couple of weeks um, going through unity keys of how to have unity in the body of Christ in a gray area, uh, some which we talked about and other ones I'm sure you can dream up. Uh, unity key number one, what does Paul want us to do? Uh, well, I'll put it up there for you to see. He wants mature saints who enjoy their freedom in Christ in a gray area to do what? To accept those who are restrictive in those areas. He's talking to the, the, the strong Christian, not the weak Christian. But before we even talk about that, what's the difference between a weak and a strong Christian? Well, one's mature, one's immature. The, see, the weak, weak Christian has a lot, lot more laws, rules, and regulations, but they think they're the spiritual one. They think they're the stronger one, when in reality, Paul says, no, you're the weaker one you don't understand your freedom in Christ. So what does it mean to be uh, weak and strong? Well, let's talk about what is uh, weak first, because Paul tells us here, stronger Christians should accept weaker Christians who have more rules and regulations uh, where spirituality is concerned. William Barclay uh, says this about weak Christians. So such people are weak for two reasons. Number one, he says they are, they've not yet discovered the meaning of Christian freedom. They are at heart still legalists, and they see Christianity as consisting of rules and regulations. Boy, do they? Number two, he says they have not yet freed themselves from a belief in the efficacy of works. In their hearts, they believe that they can gain God's favor by doing certain things and abstaining from others. That's still in them. And it may take years to get that out of them. But in the meantime, Paul says, if you're around a weak Christian who still has a whole lot of rules and regulations that the scriptures never talk about, you are to accept them if you're more mature in the faith. Uh, you, you can see how this played out, as I've already said. Meat offered to idols in the meat market. The strong Christian would say, eat away. There's no problem with any of this meat. Those, those gods are no gods. Jesus is God. The weak Christian would say, no, I, I can't. That was, at the, that, was at, that was at the Apollo temple. I can't, I can't eat that. No, that was at the Zeus temple. No, I can't eat that. Because I don't want to even give any kind of homage to those Greek gods or the Roman gods. And so Paul says, if you're a Christian who has no issue, accept those who still have an issue. Um, Jewish believers uh, who are in that church uh, are told by the Torah what they can and cannot eat. Uh, Leviticus is very explicit on what a Jew could eat and not eat. Uh, Chapter 11, verse 44, Moses said, uh, for I am the Lord your God, speaking uh, God through Moses. Consecrate yourselves therefore and be holy, for I am holy, holy, kadosh, holy. Cut off from that which is profane. And you shall not make for yourselves unclean with any swarming thing that swarms the earth. Uh, For I am the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt to be your God. Thus you shall be holy for I am holy. Some things are profane, some things are sacred. Says this is the law regarding the animal and the bird and every living thing that moves in the waters, everything that swarms on the earth. You are to make a distinction between the unclean and the clean between the edible creature and the creature that is not to be eaten. There's things that Jews could eat, the things that they could not eat. What did God do in the Torah? He set them apart as a people who the the pagan cultures could eat anything and everything. God said, no, I want to make you a people separate from the culture. So I'm gonna have you be able to eat certain things and and not certain things that's gonna form you into my people, but he never meant for the dietary laws to be perpetual and we know that because when you read the New Testament and Christ fulfilled the law, along comes Peter, the Jew, in Acts chapter 10, when he's got issues, when it comes down to what he can and cannot eat, read Acts 10. God's going to tell him in a vision, Peter, relax. You can eat anything. You're now free to eat. Uh, and so, uh, The weaker Christian, had had Peter been a weaker Christian, he would have continued on those Judaistic dietary laws. But he eventually gets free from that as he matures. So a weak Christian is one who has rules and regulations, what he can and cannot do, so they can maintain a holy status but it's not necessarily what God said you can and cannot do. What's a strong Christian? Strong Christian, on the other hand, is a person uh, who knows they live under the eye of God, is culpable for what they do uh, in those gray areas, and they use their brain and their discernment of what they should and they should not do. So they're standing at, let's make it personal, you're standing at Redbox, you got your phone, you're calling your family, they're wanting you to get a movie, they sent you over there because you got your driver's license now, you're standing there, you're looking at the movies, all the new movies. Uh, and you got a you got a coupon telling you you got a dollar off the movie. It's awesome. So what what, are, what movie are you going to pick? Well, I don't know, Mom. Uh, it says Aquaman. Uh, it's looking cool. It's about a guy who swims. You know, it's underwater. You know, I don't know. It does not look bad. does not look evil. Uh, and so the stronger Christian uh, goes for Aquaman. What's a weaker Christian? He's not even outside the, the he's not even outside the red box. But the strong Christian is, he's like, I, I, I can do this. But, oh, there's another, well, I don't know if I don't want to watch, watch Aquaman. Honey, what, scroll through some of the more movies. Well, there's a, a movie called It. <laughs> uh, well, kind of well, like, what's the promo thing look like? I don't know. There's like claws, blood coming out and everything. I'm like, okay, that's out. Why? Common sense. I mean, there's things you would do, things you wouldn't do. So a strong Christian can entertain those things and enjoy them to a degree and then not enjoy them. How about... Um, Jumanji, the next level. Jumanji, have you seen this? Nobody's seen this? Okay. I can never talk about movies because you've not seen them and then I want to give them away. So, but, but in Jumanji, uh, these, these young children are sucked into this video game and they play this video game uh, when they do it so it's it's very entertaining some really great lines in in the first one and the second one but you might watch that as a strong christian but then when you watch it the second time you might be uneasy and not watch it the second time because when they transfer over into the video game they're switching gender roles oh see oh well then i then i as a strong christian might not watch that because i don't want to laugh at something that i know is sinful see what i mean so it's just using your brain so which are you strong or weak Mature, immature. Which which one are you? Because they're both here in our church. Did you know that? They're in every single church. Uh, Paul says, I'm, I'm getting to my sermon, in verse one. What does he say about strong and weak Christians? He says, now accept the one who is weak in the faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. So if I'm a stronger Christian in the faith, there's more I can do uh, in the culture without getting involved with the sin of the culture, but I can join the culture to a degree, then if I'm near somebody who's more restrictive, I don't have them over to my house and, and do things like have wine on the table if it's a problem for them, right? And I don't purposely set wine glasses in front of them and pour glasses for them and tell them, hey, you and your wife just need to get over it, grow up. <laughs> huh? Well, what did Paul say? You're supposed to be unified. Does that help unity? no. I'm supposed to accept them. So when they come over and they are more restrictive, I have to honor them, right? So uh, at the lake, Sea of Galilee, when our two groups had issues, remember I told you to remind me, but you didn't remind me. I was gonna say something. You were going to say something, okay? Yeah, yeah. So when we had this division between Northern and Southern California at the table. Uh, we, after, after dinner, we got up, me and uh, the chairman of our elder board got up and we walked down to their leadership and I asked them, did you guys have an issue with what some of the people in our group were doing? The answer was, yes. yeah, yeah, we did. Now, what would be the spiritually immature response? So what, hey deal with it, get over it. Godless response, huh? What's a godly response? Yeah, we apologize all over ourselves. We didn't know that, but now that we know that, uh, we are not, we're gonna, the people in our group, we're gonna abstain. So for the next two weeks, we're not gonna do that which bothers you, and we didn't. Why, because what's important? Unity on a tour group. Unity in a church, so don't do things. So Paul says, accept them. Uh, Do you accept those who have more rules and regulations? It's hard to do, because sometimes, you kind of think and they're trying to control you. And that's a whole nother thing, when you study Paul and Peter, when Peter vacillates back to the law, Peter's gonna get confronted by Paul. Because there comes a time when it's all about control and manipulation, then you might need to confront. But anyway, another sermon. Uh, unity principle number two. In addition to accepting each other, you should check your attitude toward each other. Attitude. My dad always wore a hat uh, in, in, on it, and I'm sure Amanda can, and my family can remember this. The hat had a big check mark on it. It was a black hat, yellow check mark. Oh, am sorry. Um, and it said, check yourself. And I asked my dad, did your parents ever just do things? or like, what are you, huh? And I asked my dad, you know, like, what is up with the check yourself hat? He goes, well, son, everybody can just get, get a bad attitude so quickly, they need to check themselves about their attitude. I'm like, oh, okay, great, <laughs> great. Is it true that people can get a bad attitude quickly? Oh, yeah, just move to D.C.? Just moving here gets a bad attitude. But uh, it's, nobody gets tran- transferred here It's like, hallelujah, this is exciting, I, I hear from you. So what does Paul say about attitude? Verse three, what does he say? The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat. Now, in Greek, this is a present tense imperative with a negative, meaning this action's in progress, meaning he's telling them, stop, stop, as a a mature Christian, showing contempt toward those who don't understand your freedom. Stop doing that. Stop having a glass of wine in front of them. Stop going to a movie when they, stop doing that. So he says, stop showing uh, contempt toward those. Um, a, and the word that he uses for contempt is a preposition wedded to a verbal concept, which means it's highly emphatic. He's telling them, you need to really quit doing this. It's not helping unity in the body of Christ. Uh, when I was uh, in high school, uh, from 1972 to 1976, uh, I, like most young men, uh, ran into well, Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin. That's, I got that album. In fact, I've got all their albums. Um, and if you don't know what an album is, go to Wikipedia. But uh, I had the album, then I, went, I had the A track, then I had the cassette, then I got the download them on off. You know, you know what I'm saying? Uh, and so uh, back then we started listening to the Led Zeppelin. So I, you know, I got into Led Zeppelin. I like, I like it. I mean, I've always liked it. I listened to it coming to church this morning. It just happened to be on a CD in my in my car. You know, I mean, good times, bad times. I mean, it's a spiritual concept. You know. Um, but when I started listening to this stuff, you know, I got into Black Dog, Whole Lot of Love, you know, Stairway to Heaven, the whole shebang. One day after I got this album, I was standing outside of the church with all my buddies, high school buddies, and we're talking like high school kids do, like, hey, well, you know, what, are you, what have you been listening to? What new albums have you got? I just got this physical graffiti album. Uh, and standing next to us, but not talking with us, was a group of sailors, like Navy. Because there was a Navy base near our house, and they would... Uh, come to our church because it was the biggest church where we were in El Centro and they would come to the Sealy Air Base and go to church this is how my dad met my mom in the Korean War he was stationed there came to church met my mom bingo and so we had a lot of sailors there so I'm standing there I'm like 16, 17 years old bunch of sailors that are like 24, 25 years old they're like men and like they were scary to us and one of them I'll never forget his name his name was Alan I'll never forget him I'm 62 years old I turned 62 last Friday I still remember him why? I'm talking to my friends about my physical graffiti album and he spins around and steps into our conversation. What'd you say? Uh, we're just talking about the music we're listening to. What music is that? Uh, it's, it's the Zepp. Who's the Zepp? Well, you know, Led Zeppelin. He goes, you gotta be kidding me. He goes, that's of the devil. He goes, I can't believe you're listening to that music. You gotta, you gotta break that record. You gotta, you gotta throw that record in the trash. And on and on and on he went. And I'm like, what is your problem? And so we had this huge discussion out in front of the church, me and Alan, and every argument I gave him as to why I'm free in Christ to listen to this, within reason, he didn't listen. I'm like, Alan, I don't listen to everything. I mean, there's songs I skip. There's groups I don't listen to. Didn't matter. No rock ever. Um, now, I'm telling you this because Paul said you should have a good attitude toward those <laughs> who are, well, as tight as Alan was. I, I didn't have a good a- attitude toward Alan. Why? Because later when Alan leaves, I spent a lot of my time talking him down to my friends. I and mean, what who is this guy? I mean, what's his problem? See, I, I might have been right in principle that God allows me a certain degree of freedom, but I was wrong in my attitudinal approach to Alan because I was wrong in how I talked him down. Did you do that? I mean, I've done it. It's not, it's not right. Paul says, he who eats or listens to what you want to listen to is not to regard with contempt the one who doesn't. See, that's a huge thing. Now, on the other side of the equation, um, The Alan types have a command given to them. What's their command? Uh, The one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats. Why? Because God has accepted him. See, God accepted me in my freedom. Alan's judging me. See, this is what the legalist does. The legalist says, I've come up with all these rules and regulations, and thou shalt not do these things. If you do them, you're not holy like I'm holy. And then they hold you to them and nail you with them. Paul says, you shouldn't be judging in a gray area. I submit to you what happened to me at my last church years ago when I was a young pastor. I've run into these people my whole life. Uh, a legalist uh, came into our church service, uh, and he and his family walked in. Now, in a church of like 75, when you saw a new family come in, everyone knew they were new. If you're new here today, chances of me knowing you're new, not good, because there's so many people here in all the services. But there it's like, new family. <laughs> you know, so I saw him when they came in. A man, a, a wife, and three children, like teens. So I went over to him, introduced myself. Hey, I'm Marty, I'm the pastor. Great to see you in worship, blah, blah, blah. This is what he said to me. <laughs> I'll never forget this. He's like, a, are those drums on the stage? That's what he told me. Is he a weak or strong brother? Weak. weak. He's weak, because for him, thou shalt not play drums. It's like the 11th commandment. They left it off the stone. It's on there, Okay. So that's what he thought. Now, at that precise moment, I had another 60s flashback when he said this to me. Because I used to read Mad Magazine. Dear Mad Magazine. Yeah. Yeah, I know, should a Christian read it? I liked it because it was my first introduction to Hebrew, reading from right to left. (laughs) I'm just saying. Um, but I used to read it and laugh at the things that were in there and then I like to draw cartoons. So I have a little portfolio book and I used to try to, uh, you know, replicate the cartoons in there. So I, I did that all the time uh, and I still have some of the Mad Magazines in my office in plastic uh, uh, to guard them. Uh, but um, Mad Magazine, uh, the, my favorite thing in Mad Magazine, I'm getting to the guy with the drums in a second. Uh, my favorite part was, was this section of the magazine. I'll show it to you. Mad Madden and I didn't even know this stuff. Uh, I like this part. The shadow knows. What's the shadow know? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? I'm like, this is a spiritual concept. You know, people have evil hearts. What lurks in their heart? Well, the shadow is this thing is like what people are doing in the real. If you can only see what they're really thinking. So the guy has his wife giving him a tie. He's thinking to himself, wonderful, beautiful. But he's really thinking, where's the lighter? And that's a that's the most, that's the ugliest eye I've ever seen. I'm torching that thing. So, I mean, and you got to admit, it's like, you kind of think like that. The first blush comes out and it's kind of the darker side of you. So when the guy, now back to the guy in my church. I didn't forget about him. So when he comes in and looks at the drums on the stage and says, are those drums? I'm thinking the shadow knows how I want to respond right now. <laughs> oh no, those aren't drums. <laughs> drums, I don't see any Drums. You see drums? You know? So that would have been godly, right? No, no, I'm not supposed to act like that. Uh, and so I told him, I said, uh, uh, yeah, those are, those are drums. You know? And then he said this. Some, sometimes legalists push you. Then he said this. Do you use them in worship? Huh? What planet are you from? They're on the stage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we use them in worship. I could have said something like the shadow thing. Oh no, man, they never use them. They're just up there for looks. No, no, I was I tried to be the stronger Christian to tell him. oh yeah. They're, they're up there and we use them for worship because God said, you know, thou shalt glorify me, however you with whatever kind of instruments. I didn't tell him that our drummer was trained by the, the drummer of white snake. I didn't tell him that. He couldn't have handled that. But, it, but it's true. Yeah. And if you don't know who white snake is, it's, well, just Google him. Um, but you see, I mean, it's that whole thing. It's like, he's like, he looked at me and he said, if that's what you're gonna do here at this church, my family and I are out of here. And they turned around and walked out. Okay, weaker Christian, right? And In that didn't sense I was a stronger Christian because I don't have the issue with the drums. He does. Uh, and so he left. Imagine if he'd stayed. See what I mean? See, churches divide over this kind of stuff. What does God want us to do? a couple things. Number one, he wants you to accept those who are the opposite of you in a gray area, to accept them. Don't tolerate them, to lovingly accept them and embrace them, and don't do anything that causes disunity. Number two, he wants you to check your attitude constantly. Constantly. My dad's hat was right. You have to constantly think about your attitude. God, what is my attitude? Because if you're a legalist and you have laws and rules and regulations, you're going to want to hold everyone accountable to your list. But maybe your attitude is wrong. And if you're a little bit freer in your faith, well, maybe maybe you're a bit too free. And you need to think about your attitude toward those who are not as free. This is huge stuff. I would say that with 2020 coming on, God's gonna test you in a gray area. He will. And now you know what to do. Two keys. Let's pray. God, thank you just for the clarity of scripture. Uh, it is always uh, precise and tells us what we need to do to pursue holiness. And it, and it gets down into the, well, the nitty-gritty of our lives, uh, down to the things we see, things we eat, things we watch. May we be wise and discerning uh, to not do things that besmirch the name of Christ, but might be, do those kinds of things that help us to enjoy life, but to also build a bridge to those who don't know you. Help us to have great balance uh, on the scale of freedom versus law. And we thank you for how you'll use us to that end. And we give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.